إن هذا القرآن يهدي للتي هي أقوم ويبشر المؤمنين ويبشر المؤمنين الذين يعملون الصالحات أن لهم أجرا كبيرا بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الرحمن علم القرآن خلق الإنسان علمه البيان الشمس والقمر بحسبان والنجم والشجر يسجدان والسماء رفعها ووضع الميزان ألا تطغوا في الميزان وأقيموا الوزن بالقسط ولا تخسروا الميزان والأرض وضعها للأنام فيها فاكهة والنخل ذات الأكمام والحب ذو العصف والريحان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان خلق الإنسان من صلصال كالفخار وخلق الجان من مارج من نار فبأي آلاء رب المشرقين ورب المغربين فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان مرج البحرين يلتقيان بينهما برزخ لا يبغيان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان يخرج منهما اللؤلؤ والمرجان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان وله الجوار المنشآت في البحر كالأعلام فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان كل من عليها فان ويبقى وجه ربك ذو الجلال والإكرام فبأي آلاء يسأله من 
فِي السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ كُلَّ يَوْمٍ هُوَ فِي شَأْنٍ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ سَنَفْرُغُ لَكُمْ أَيُّهَا الثَّقَلَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ يَا مَعْشَرَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنسِ إِنِ اسْتَطَعْتُمْ أَنْ تَنْفُذُوا مِنْ أَقْطَارِ السَّمَاوَاتِ وَالْأَرْضِ فَانْفُذُوا لَا تَنْفُذُونَ إِلَّا بِسُلْطَانٍ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ يُرْسَلُ عَلَيْكُمَا شُوَاظٌ مِنْ نَارٍ وَنُحَاسٌ فَلَا تَنْتَصِرَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فَإِذَا شَقَّتِ السَّمَاءُ فَكَانَتْ وَرْدَةً كَالدِّهَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فَيَوْمَئِذٍ لَّا يُسْأَلُ عَن بِهِ إِنسٌ وَلَا جَانٌّ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ يُعْرَفُ الْمُجْرِمُونَ بِسِيمَاهُمْ فَيُؤْخَذُ بِهِمْ نَوَاصِي وَالْأَقْدَامِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ هَذِهِ جَهَنَّمُ الَّتِي يُكَذِّبُ بِهَا الْمُجْرِمُونَ يَطُوفُونَ بَيْنَهَا وَبَيْنَ حَمِيمٍ آنٍ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ وَلِمَنْ خَافَ مَقَامَ رَبِّهِ جَنَّتَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ ذَوَاتَا فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فِيهِمَا عَيْنَانِ تَجْرِيَانِ فَبِأَيِّ آلَاءِ رَبِّكُمَا تُكَذِّبَانِ فِيهِمَا مِنْ كُلِّ فَاكِهَةٍ زوجان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان
متكئين على فرش بطائنها من استبرق وجن الجنتين دان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان فيهن قاصرات الطرف لم يطمثهن إنس قبلهم ولا جان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان كأنهن الياقوت والمرجان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان هل جزاء الإحسان إلا الإحسان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان ومن دونهما جنتان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان مدهامتان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان فيهما عينان نضاختان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان فيهما فاكهة ونخل ورمان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان فيهن خيرات حسان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان حور مقصورات في الخيام فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان لم يطمثهن إنس قبلهم ولا جان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان متكئين على رفرف خضر وعبقري حسان فبأي آلاء ربكما تكذبان تبارك اسم ربك ذي الجلال والإكرام السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Glory be to Allah to whom belongs all sovereignty, dominion and power. He it is who has created the sun and the earth and all energy and matter. 
He is the Lord of Jibra'il, Mika'il, Israfil, and angels countless and beyond number. It is to Him that we raise our hands, bow our faces, and our hearts do surrender. We seek refuge in Him on the day that the mountains will crumble and the heavens shall split asunder. And we send our salat upon the one whom He chose to be our prophet and His final messenger. Today, inshaAllah ta'ala, we have to do six surahs, so we're going to dive straight in. We begin with Surah Tur. And Surah Tur, <coughs> it is an early Meccan surah, and it's a very short surah. All of the surahs today, till the end of the Quran, are relatively short. It is around two and a half pages, 49 verses. And the primary theme is the day of judgment and what will follow. It is called Tur, which means mountain, because Allah begins the surah by Wat-Tur, or the Qasam, or the oath on Mount Sinai. The mountain here is a reference to Mount Sinai. And this surah, and in fact, most of today's surahs, they are symptomatic. They are clear examples of the fiery, rhythmic, short verses, the powerful meanings that characterize all of the Meccan revelations. And the surah begins by, as usual, uh, mentioning some of the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then immediately jumping to the day of judgment and the punishments for those who denied Allah. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us of Jannah and promises us some of the delights. And one verse in particular should really make us yearn Jannah. Verse number 21, Those who do good and their progeny and children Follow them in faith. Alhaqna bihim dhurriyatahum. We shall allow their children to join them in their ranks. And we're not going to cause their deeds to go to any waste. Every single person is accountable for what they have done. SubhanAllah, Allah is promising families will be together in Jannah. But who are those people? Verse number 26 mentions that they used to say to one another that we used to be in awe of Allah Azza wa Jal even amongst our families. And then, فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا Allah graced us and protected us from this painful term torment. This is a beautiful indication. Allah is saying families will be together in Jannah, but only those families that even as they were together in this world, they worshiped Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Beautiful indication here that those families that yes, there's love, there's, there's of course that good bonds of family, but their worldly uh, matters did not distract them from the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so they are saying that in this world, inna kunna qablu fi ahlina mushfiqeen. We used to be with our families and we had the fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. فَمَنَّ اللَّهُ عَلَيْنَا Because we had the fear of Allah in this world, Allah protected us from the fear and the punishment of the next world. So those families that worship together and those families that are upon piety in this world, they will inshallah be together in the next world as well. And then follows, a powerful series of 15 rhetorical questions, one after the other, that is meant to intellectually challenge and then destroy completely those who worship false gods. And this surah as well has one particular verse that is one of my favorite in terms of the Islamic uh, theology or aqidah, and that is the verse, verse 35, which is the only verse that can be said that explicitly 
references the concept of atheism because atheism of course is a concept if you study it historically it is a very modern concept it only goes back 250 years and when the quran came down no society openly rejected god no society you had polytheistic but you didn't have atheistic atheism really is a very uh, shallow intellectual uh, recourse to deny god and it's a very relatively recent phenomenon and therefore for multiple reasons the quran does not engage atheists directly this is one verse that does reference the phenomenon of atheism. Verse number 35, Do they assume that nothing created them? They were created from nothing? Or do they assume that they created themselves? Because there's only three logical possibilities. A, no creator. B, you created yourselves. C, an external all-powerful creator. And of course, by asking the two rhetorical questions and the answer is obvious, it is nonsensical to say we created, we came from nothing. It is nonsensical to say I created myself. So there's only one other possibility and Allah doesn't even ask it because it is understood when you negate the first two, only one is left. Also, this surah has a beautiful incident from the seerah. Jubayr ibn Mut'im, the son of the famous chieftain Mut'im ibn Adi, was captured prisoner uh, in the Battle of Badr. And he was brought to the Medina, the masjid of the Prophet wasallam, and his hands were tied and he was sitting in the masjid. And the first salah that he heard, Salat al-Maghrib, the Prophet went out and he led the Sahaba. And he is a prisoner in the back of the masjid. And he said, I heard the Prophet recite Surat al-Tur in Salat al-Maghrib. And when he came to this verse, Am min shayn, when he came to this verse, he said, my heart, it was about to explode. It was about to just burst outside. And he goes, that was the first time that Iman entered my heart. It was with this verse. So listen to this surah. And it concludes this surah uh, by reminding the Prophet wasallam to worship Allah at night, and especially when the stars begin to fade. And by mentioning the stars, the next surah automatically begins when Najmi Ida Hawa. So Surah Al Najm begins by the Qasim on the stars when Najm. The last surah ends by mentioning worship Allah during the time that the stars are fading. And then the next surah begins directly with the last uh, verse of the previous surah, and that is when Najmi Ida Hawa. And Surah Al Najm was revealed at a time of great trouble between the Muslims and the Meccans. There was a lot of back and forth. And it is also the first surah that was revealed that has a sajda in it. This is the first surah in the Quran that has a sajda. There are around 15 sajdas, depending on which uh, uh, madhab you follow. It's actually madhab specific, the number of sajdas. And Surah Al-Najm was the first surah to be revealed that has a sajda in it. This surah also played a key role in a very important incident of the seerah. And uh, it was perhaps the first time that all of the noblemen of the Quraysh had gathered in front of the Kaaba, And the Prophet ﷺ was talking to them in a very auspicious occasion, a very, very historic incident. And he recited to them Surat Al-Najm in front of the Kaaba, And all of the Quraysh and all of the senior members of the Quraysh, the nobility is listening to him. And he recited in front of the Kaaba this surah. And subhanAllah, dear Muslims, you know, so many times I think I listen to these, these Qurra all the time and I have my favorites. Of course, Husari is my number one favorite. And then after him, uh, Abdul Basit al-Manshawi, they occupy a very high level in my heart. And then so many of the great uh, Qurra that come. And subhanAllah, they move you to the core when you listen to these great Qurra. But you know one thing I miss? 
You know one thing that I'm looking forward to and I ask Allah Azza to bless me with, I want to listen to the tilawah of the Quran from the tongue of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Can you imagine hearing the Quran in the voice of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, how that is going to move us? And then Surat Al-Najm in particular, please you must listen to Surat Al-Najm from a good Qari. And again, I have many favorites. Surat Al-Najm in particular, uh, listen to Sheikh Ahmed Al-Ajami, Ahmed Al-Ajami, listen to his Surat Najm. It's only seven minutes, you'll find it on YouTube. And then pause the my, my lecture here if, if you're not listening live, listen to Surat uh, Najm and then come back and continue. Because this Surah in particular, it is one of the most magnificent and powerful Surahs simply by listening to it. And can you imagine the Prophet is doing tilawah, all the Meccans are standing there, sitting there, and the Kaaba is in the vicinity. Just imagine that scene, what is going on. And then if you follow along what is happening, and it reaches a crescendo at the very end. And at the very end, فَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ وَعْبُدُوا You prostrate to Allah and worship Him. And the Prophet ﷺ prostrated. And the entire people of Mecca, the Quraysh, the pagan worshippers, the idol believers, they were so moved, they were so swayed, that when they saw the Prophet ﷺ prostrate, almost to a man, they prostrated with his prostration. The Muslims and the Muslims they prostrated together in front of the Kaaba with the Prophet Sallallahu their leader, their Imam. Can you imagine that scene? Can you imagine the impact of Surah Al-Najm for them to have done that? The very enemies of Islam. And this, by the way, spread the rumor that slowly but surely the, the rumor reached all the way to Abyssinia, you know, a thousand miles away, 700 miles away. And they heard that the Quraysh had accepted Islam. What began as a sajda, the rumor spread, spread, spread. And this is the reality of rumors, isn't it? Start small, by the time it gets to Abyssinia, the rumor is the Quraysh have all converted and they're praying behind the Prophet wasallam. So the Muslims in Abyssinia migrated back to Mecca only to hear that it was just an exaggerated rumor. And so even more Muslims came back to the second migration. There were two migrations to Abyssinia. And so when they came back, even more Muslims went back. And this surah was the cause of the first batch to come back. So we know roughly when it was revealed around the fifth year, the fourth and fifth year of the da'wah of the preaching of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. The theme of Surah Al-Najm, like all Makki surahs, is the same. However, in particular, it wants to show the status of the Prophet and the fact that he is a messenger and it challenges the notion that the angels are daughters of Allah. And the surah begins by the discussion of the miraculous night journey, the Isra wal Mi'raj of the Prophet and the fact that Allah honored our Nabi to be very close to Jibreel. He was within two uh, a bow's length. This is an Arabic expression. In English we say, you know, two hands span away or two feet away. So it's an Arabic expression, the length of a bow. So he's just two bow's length away. So he inspired his servant with whatever he inspired. What the chest saw, no one, he did not deny it and no one can uh, deny it. The Prophet saw some of the greatest signs of his Lord. And what is this greatest sign? To see Jibreel 
to see Jibreel is such an honor that Allah mentions it in the Quran, that the Prophet saw Jibreel in his original form. And the Sidrat al-Muntaha is also mentioned by name in this surah, the lotus tree, which is considered to be the final of the creation of Allah, the highest of the creation. After that is the Arsh of the Ar-Rahman. And the Sidrat al-Muntaha is where all of the good deeds ascend to. And beyond that, no creation has gone uh, except our Prophet And Allah Azza wa mentions after this as well, criticizing the Quraysh for their false beliefs in the gods. He mentions the only time in the Quran, the three idols by name, He mentions these three idols, Allat, Al-Uzza, and Manat. And he criticizes the beliefs of the Quraysh with a very powerful verse. In here, illa asma'un. These are only names. Lat uzzamanat samaytumuha antum wa abaukum. You and your forefathers are the ones who named them. Ma anzalallahu biha min sultan. Allah did not reveal any authority for you. These are names that you have done. You have no guidance, your false knowledge, you're following your desires. This is what your souls want. There is no reality to Allah and Uzza and Manat. And you know, Alhamdulillah, by and large, paganism has been il il eliminated from the Ummah. We thank Allah. But still, there are still concepts and ideas out there that those names, we consider them to be shibboleths that cannot be challenged. We consider them to be icons of, of, of uh, uh, orthodoxy, icons that are established that once they are mentioned, khalas, you cannot say anything. And all of these isms, and I'm not gonna go into detail in this lecture, but we need to be very careful. Sometimes we have concepts that have become vogue and are culturally acceptable. Once we pull that card out, khalas, everybody is silenced. And sometimes I feel like saying, and I have said this in my other lectures, in here, illa asma'un, antum wa ba'ukum. These are names you and your departments of the universities or your intellectuals have invented. They aren't realities and concepts. You have constructed an ideology and you think that that is valid. And I'm saying this because a lot of times we Muslims read these verses of idolatry and we say, ah, they're not relevant to me. No, there is relevancy that can be established. Exactly like they invented an idea, the idea of a false god. We too have to ask ourselves, what are the potential imaginary gods that our minds have absorbed? What are the potential clashes that we have with the Quran? And in reality, there is no clash. We are invoking a false god that has no basis other than a name that we have absorbed from popular culture and it doesn't actually have an existence. And so we have to think about that as we read these verses as well. And then Allah mentions verse 31 onwards, to Allah belongs all that is in the heavens and earth, and He will repay those who do evil according to their deeds and recompense those who do good according to their deeds. Then Allah praises the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who avoid the major sins and the major indecencies. But the minor ones, illa lamam. The lamam, okay, the, the lamam here is the minor sins. Those who avoid the major sins. Allah is most forgiving. So we really need to try our best to avoid the major sins in particular. And as for the minor sins, no one can be totally perfect. This ayah, this verse is not a carte blanche uh, allowance to just go and commit as many minor sins as you want. What Allah is saying that the minor sins, how, how perfect can we be? Allah is saying, you will be forgiven if you repent generically. But the major sins, we need to make a conscious point to make sure we do not cross that line. And we ask Allah for his maghfirah and his afiyah. And then Allah says, 
فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ Do not ascribe piety to yourselves. هُوَ أَعْلَمُ بِمَنِ اتَّقَى He alone knows who is truly pious. So be careful, dear Muslim. Never ever say, I am pious. Never say that I am a good God-fearing person. Rather you say, I hope, insha'Allah, Allah makes me from the pious. That I pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes me from the salihin and the salihat. As well, when you speak about somebody else as well, do not make a categorical affirmation. Oh, that guy, he is a muttaqi. No, you say, that person, I assume, I, I feel him to be a person of taqwa and Allah knows best. Be careful. Do not ascribe piety to yourselves and by yourselves, anyone amongst you. Allah alone knows who has taqwa. We seek Allah's refuge. How many are the people who have the illusion of taqwa, but their hearts do not have taqwa? Nasrullah as-salama wal-afiyah. Ask Allah for taqwa, but don't become judges ascribing taqwa to those. You are not in charge. It is Allah alone who knows. And the conclusion of this surah is for me at least, I mean personally, it's one of the most powerful examples of Meccan eloquence. And again, I don't even want to go over it. It's so beautiful. It cannot, I cannot do justice. Either I do the whole thing verse by verse or uh, I, I cannot do it. In my seerah, I attempted to briefly go over verse by verse, uh, but I wasn't able to do an exhaustive tafsir because again, that is another level altogether. But you need to listen to it and read the tafsir and translation. And it's just so powerful. Do they, do they not know that they will return to Allah, the Lord, the Most High, that He is the one who causes one to laugh and causes one to cry, that He is the one who gives life and causes to die. And it goes on and on in short, powerful verses. And then it concludes that this Prophet is like one of the warners of old. That which is near is approaching ever nearer. Are you not amazed? Are you amazed at this revelation? Laughing instead of weeping? Persisting in your heedlessness? Instead, prostrate to Allah and worship Him. And at that stage, we are supposed to fall into sajda. And that was when our Prophet ﷺ also fell into sajda. So listen to this surah in the Arabic, definitely, and read it in English, and then contextualize when was this surah revealed and the impact that it had to allow the leaders of the Quraysh to prostrate their one and only time behind the Prophet ﷺ and marvel at this surah. And I forgot to mention, of course, this is one of my favorite surahs. Uh, surah Al-Qamar. The next surah, uh, early Meccan surah, uh, as with most of the ones that we're doing today. And Surah Al-Qamar uh, is of course called uh, well, uh, the moon because it begins that Allah Azza wa Jal is saying iqtaraba the sa'atu wa al-qamar, that the hour is near and the moon has split. And again, it is a small uh, surah, less than uh, three pages, 55 verses. And it is a reference to the splitting of the moon uh, that is referenced in the books of Sirah in the early Meccan phase. And when they saw this, verse number two mentions, whenever they see a miracle, they turn away and they say, oh, this is continuous uh, magic. So Allah tells the Prophet Sallallahu turn away from them on the day that the caller will call them to something that is very terrible. Let them be until judgment comes. And the surah then discusses uh, the people of Nuh and the people of Ad and the people of Thamud and the people of Lut and Fir'aun. And between each one of these stories, by the way, there's a continuous phrase here. And that phrase, one of the lines is, وَلَقَدْ يَسَّرْنَا الْقُرْآنَ لِلذِّكْرِ فَهَلْ مِنْ مُدَّكِرِ We have made the Qur'an easy to be understood. We have made the Qur'an easy to understand. So who is there that is going to pay heed? Who is there that will try to understand? And so throughout this verse, throughout this surah, this verse is constantly repeated over and over again. Therefore, the question is, 
Are you going to take up this question? Are you going to take up this challenge in the Quran? Allah is asking in this Quran, I've made the Quran easy to understand. Who is there that will understand it? Therefore, from now on, make it an intention in your heart that you know what? For the rest of my life, I will be a continual student of the Quran. I will begin to recite the Quran, read the Quran, understand the Quran, memorize the Quran. And that inshaAllah ta'ala will hopefully allow us to enter Jannah, our love for the Quran. And the story then uh, concludes by predicting the battle of Badr. When it was revealed, Muslims did not understand the reference. But then on the day of the battle of Badr, some of the Sahaba said, I never understood Surah Iqtarabat Sa'a, Surah Al-Qamar, until I saw this verse manifested on the day of Badr. Verse number 45. That Sayuhzamul Jamru wa Yuwaluna Dubur. The multitudes will be defeated and they will turn their backs and run away. What does it mean? The multitudes will be defeated and they will turn their backs and flee. That happened at the Battle of Badr. The hour is their appointed time, and the hour is something that is far more disastrous and far more bitter than anything that they can imagine. And then verse 49, one of the fundamental principles of us mainstream Orthodox. Muslims, we believe in Qadr, and the Quran is very explicit. Inna kulla shay'in khalaqnahu bi Qadr. We created everything with predetermination. Nothing is random in the kingdom of Allah. Nothing happens spontaneously that Allah did not plan. How can a powerful God allow spontaneity? Allah knows and Allah plans. Not a leaf falls except with His knowledge and wisdom. Inna kulla shay'in khalaqnahu bi Qadr. And then Allah says, وَلَقَدْ we have destroyed people just like you. Will anyone not wonder and ponder? And Allah says, everything has been written down in the books. Every small thing, large or small, has been written down. Everything has been written down. Indeed, the righteous will be amidst gardens and rivers. At the seat of honor, in the presence of an omnipotent king. We ask Allah to be amongst those people. The next surah, Surah Ar-Rahman. And what will make us understand what is Surah Ar-Rahman? And I don't need to tell you, of course, Surah Ar-Rahman is one of my favorite surahs, and it's all of our favorite surahs. Surah Ar-Rahman is a very, very early Meccan surah. Maybe even the second year of the da'wah, we're going back to the very beginning of Islam. And our Prophet wasallam, he would recite this surah in Salat al-Tahajjud regularly. Also, he recited this surah on the night of the jinn, to the jinn. And the night of the jinn is a very interesting episode that I don't have time to get into, but briefly, one night in Mecca, the Prophet wasallam went missing for an entire night. And Ibn Mas'ud and the Sahaba panicked. And then he came from the desert the next morning. And they said, Ya Rasulullah, where were you? We spent the worst night of our lives trying to find you. Where did you go? He said, when I went to sleep, uh, a messenger from the jinn came to me and told me that there's a delegation that wants to talk to me. So I went outside and I spent the whole night with them, speaking with them, teaching them. Uh, and so there are some jinn from the Sahaba. And the jinn have been taught their uh, special uh, rulings and ahkam of the Sharia that they know. Uh, sometimes a joke when I'm teaching my class, I say that the jinns are not told to do wudu. They don't. They're not. They're not going to extinguish themselves when they pray. So they have their separate ahkam of tahara and their separate rulings of fiqh that our Prophet sallallahu uh, taught them. And of the things that he did that night, we learn this in a hadith in Tirmidhi that the Prophet sallallahu recited to them surat 
A lot of people say Surat Al-Jinn. No, he didn't recite Surat Al-Jinn. He recited Surat Al-Rahman to the jinn on the night of the jinn. And uh, whenever he said, The jinn would respond that, That we will reject none of the blessings of our Lord. And so the jinn heard Surah Al-Rahman from the voice of the Prophet and they embraced Islam. Uh, and uh, this is a beautiful uh, anecdote about Surah, uh, Surah Al-Rahman. Also Surah Al-Rahman, one of the reasons why we know that the surah was revealed so early is because Ibn Mas'ud uh, he volunteered to read the Quran in front of the Kaaba for the first time. This is way before Surah Al-Najm, maybe by three years, that some of the Sahaba got together and they said, you know, none of the Quraysh has heard the Quran being recited out loud. What if we were to recite the Quran out loud? And so they volunteered who would go. Ibn Mas'ud insisted, I want to be the one that will be the first to recite the Quran in the whole valley of Mecca, just to recite loudly tilawatan. Nobody had done that in early Islam because they were being persecuted. So they couldn't do that. So Ibn Mas'ud said, I want to do that. And so Ibn Mas'ud stood in front of the Kaaba and he began to recite which surah? Surah Al-Rahman. And the people initially surrounded him mesmerized until some of the thugs came and began beating him until he was blue in the face, until he went unconscious because of the beating. And even as they were beating him, he continued to recite Surah Al-Rahman. So Surah Al-Rahman has the distinct honor of being the first surah of the Quran that was recited with tilawa in front of the Kaaba. And the whole people of Mecca heard uh, this is Ibn Mas'ud, the Prophet was, uh, as a Surah Al-Najm incident took place a few years after this. So Surah Al-Rahman was revealed very early on. And some of the Sahaba, they used to call Surah Al-Rahman Arus Al-Quran, the bride of the Quran. Meaning, by bride here, what do they mean? They mean the most decorated of the Quran. And Surah Al-Rahman is uh, a surah that deals with the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman. It is as if the entire surah explains who is Ar-Rahman. That is what the surah is. The whole surah is a tafsir of the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, and mentions one blessing after another. And that's why the phrase is repeated once the blessing is mentioned. So which of these blessings are you going to negate and die? You're taking advantage of all of them. And this surah has many unique things about it. Of the unique things about this surah is that this surah clearly displays a duality. That firstly, the speech is in the duality. And if you know your Arabic, you know that Arabic has the single and the dual and the plural. As for English, it has single and plural. There is no dual, but Arabic has dual. And the dual is very rarely invoked. How often do you only speak to exactly two people? And even modern arrows, when they speak to two people, they just jump to the plural. They say all of you rather than just the duality. And the Quran or Surah Al-Rahman uses the dual, but not just in this also, throughout it, that خلق الإنسان وخلق الجان رب المشقين ورب المغربين. So it's very clear there's a duality in Surah Ar-Rahman. Also, another thing unique about Surah Ar-Rahman is that it is the only surah in the Quran that begins with the name of Allah and that name of Allah is the ayah, Ar-Rahman, that's it. 
So that is it. There's nothing. There's that is the first verse, and there is no other verse in the Quran that consists of the name of Allah in and of itself. And that is an honor to this surah, Surah Ar-Rahman. And of course, everyone knows. Every single Muslim in the world knows that the one thing that makes Surah Ar-Rahman unique is the phrase "Fabi ayyi rabbikuma tukadhiban," which occur, which occurs exactly thirty-one times in the uh, surah, and. The translation, of course, is which of the blessings, which of the favors of your Lord are you going to deny? And we're going to explain what this means to um, deny. Now, the, the, the surah, of course, is very, very beautiful, as you all know. Everyone knows Surah Ar-Rahman. And of course, look at the order. Ar-Rahman. Al-Quran. Al-Bayan. He taught us the Quran. He created man. And then he taught us how to speak eloquently. Notice this beautiful order here. The Quran comes before our existence. The Quran is more important than our existence. If Allah created us without the Quran, our existence would be meaningless. He would not create us without guidance. Our existence comes after the guidance. Therefore, عَلَّمَ الْقُرْآنَ خَلَقَ الْإِنسَانِ And then, عَلَّمَهُ الْبَيَانِ Allah taught, Allah taught man, Adam, and through Adam, all of us, bayan. And bayan is not just speech, it is eloquent speech. No other species, no other creation has bayan except for mankind. The animals have speech. They can communicate. They can tell danger here or food there, but they don't have bayan. Bayan is poetry. Bayan is philosophy. Bayan is deep thoughts. Bayan is metacognition. Bayan is to know and to think about why you're here. How do you get your knowledge from? Where do you have that? So bayan is a whole different level. And by the way, bayan implies aql because you cannot have eloquent speech and deep speech without, without intellect. If Allah said, I gave him intellect, that would not have included bayan. But if Allah says, I gave him bayan, bayan includes intellect. And so it's a double. You get one and you have another thing in Incorporated. So by telling us that Allah taught us bayan, we are the only species that has eloquent uh, speech. We are the only species that records our histories. We're the only species that thinks of abstract concepts. We're the only species that can contextualize. As I said, the whole notion of metacognition, the awareness of our awareness, that is something that no other species has. The species are aware, but they're aware at one dimensional level or call it at a very linear level. As for us, Allah has given us a level of intellect that no other species has. And bayan is the ability to express that intellect automatically. And so look at the, bless the blessings of Allah, how can you deny these blessings? And therefore, after this comes the issue of which of the favors of your Lord, your Lord here to duality, meaning both men and jinn, both men and jinn, the, the, the grace of men and the race, race of jinn. Which of the blessings of your Lord would both of you deny? How can you uh, deny this? And the reality of denial, what does it mean to, to deny, to uh, kathiban? What does it mean? There's an, a levels of uh, denial. There's levels of denial. And of course, the greatest or the worst type of denial is to uh, deny that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them in the first place. And this is what atheists do, or this is what people who don't believe in God do. There's another level of denial, and that is what the Quraysh of Mecca did, where they affirm that Allah gave it, but then they thank and they worship other than Allah. And that is a level of denial. And then there is a third level of denial. And that third level, we have to be cognizant of that as Muslims. And that is to affirm that Allah gave it, but to not 
thank Allah. This is a type of takdeeb. It's not as, it's not to the level of the first two, but still it is a type of takdeeb to appreciate and to acknowledge, but then to fail to give thanks to Allah. This is a level of takdeeb that is no doubt much less than the previous two, but it is still there. And then Allah Azza wa Jal mentions eight blessings of this uh, world, eight uh, blessings that He has uh, given us. and. A powerful surah that he created man, he is the Lord of all directions, he brought the seas together, he blessed us with ships, uh, he taught us uh, the beautiful descriptions of uh, all that is on here, and then kullu man alayha fan, all that is here, Allah builds up how beautiful this world is, and then he says, it shall all go away, kullu man alayha fan, everyone will simply vanish, fan is not just to, it's not just to die, to disappear, nothing will be left, of, uh, of us, and this is so true. Where are the people of a thousand years ago? Where are, and, and eventually even their bones will be gone uh, when the trumpet is blown. And only Allah and the attributes of Allah will remain. And that is why we need to remember, we need Allah. All that is in the heavens and earth, they ask Him, every instance He is engaged in a matter of importance. After this follow seven threats of uh, punishment and judgment. And Allah Azza wa mentions that that was the hell that you used to deny and go between that and the burning fire and the burning water. And then follow eight verses, eight descriptions of a higher level of paradise and then eight of the lower level of paradise. So we have a grand total of eight blessings, followed by seven punishments, followed by eight of the higher level of Jannah, followed by eight of the lower level of Jannah. You do the math, eight plus eight plus seven plus eight, and you get exactly 31. And this is what the is coming after. And uh, the levels of Jannah are parallel together. There's clearly two levels of Jannah here. There's the higher level, verses 46 to 61, and then the lower level, verses 62 to 78. The higher level is promised to, The one who had the fear of Allah will get Jannatan. Doesn't mean two gardens. It's a mistake really to translate it so literally. Jannatan, it indicates plurality because the Arabs would sometimes indicate plurality by via duality. And so those who have the khashya of Allah will have two gardens. And then later on in verse 62 or 63, and lesser than those two are yet other series of gardens. So you have the higher level, and then you have the lower level. And who is the highest level given to? هَلْ جَزَاءُ الْإِحْسَانِ إِلَّا الْإِحْسَانِ Verse 61 here. هَلْ جَزَاءُ الْإِحْسَانِ إِلَّا الْإِحْسَانِ What will be the reward of those who practice perfection other than to be given perfection? One of the scholars of the past said, how infinitely merciful is Allah. Our attempt at perfection, which must be imperfect, Allah Azza wa Jal called Ihsan. And Allah said, if we try to be perfect, He will give us Ihsan, His perfection. What a generous Lord, that when we try with our imperfect manner, He will call it Ihsan, and He will accept it as excellence, even though we can never be excellent. And then, even if we tried and we're gonna fail to be excellent, Allah will return to us that which is Ihsan, which is the highest level. And what do you think Allah's excellence is going to be? And so, these two, um, gen these two levels of Jannah, as we said, they are, 
they are layered together. If you go to it verse by verse, and so for the highest level, that uh, uh, the, uh, the higher level uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that uh, there is uh, uh, the af afnan, plenty of branches uh, in the higher one, in the lower one, mudhamata afnan. Dawata afnan is the higher level, that the branches are plenty. And the lower level, mudhamatan, they are luscious green. And then the rivers, where does the water come from? tajriyan, the higher one. The lower one, fihima'inani nadakhatan. Tajriyan, the two rivers are flowing in the middle. Nadakhatan, they're bubbling. No doubt the ones that are flowing are more than the ones that are uh, bubbling. And then the fruits. In the higher level, whatever fruit you can imagine, there are multiple varieties of it. In the lower level, it is a list. It's a specific list which automatically indicates the variety is there, but not to the level of the highest one, which is unlimited uh, variety. Notice as well the couches in the higher level. The couches, the the inside of it is the greatest luxurious silk, which is the highest level of silk brocade that man could even imagine. Allah is saying the inner lining. Who describes couches with the inner lining? Allah is saying, I can't even describe the outer lining in your language. I can only tell you the inner lining is something that the max you can imagine that it is what, what is going to be. This is in the higher level. And the lower level uh, that uh, Allah Azza wa says that, they are they are sitting upon green crouch, uh, green couches uh, and abqari uh, and hisan and beautiful uh, rugs. So again, there is good, but not to the level of the higher one. The companions over there in the higher level, Allah Azza wa Jal says that qasiratul tarfi. They are lowering their own gaze. They are like precious jewels and pearls and corals. And the other level is hurun maqsuratun fil which is again uh, something that is good, but again not to the level of the higher. One. And by the way, the issue of the companions uh, of Jannah requires a much longer lecture, and it definitely does require that. Just realize one simple thing, dear brothers and sisters. Our Prophet ﷺ said, "Laysa fil azub." No one shall be single in Jannah. To have full happiness, we need to have a partner. And Allah Subhanahu wa Taala will give partners to all of us in Jannah. Those who whose partners uh, make it inshallah, we ask Allah, all of us are like that, they will have their partners in Jannah. And definitely there is one of these gender differences as well, that men have something that women do not. But the point is women will also have in their own uh, Jannah, they will have things that are pleasing to them. In case a woman is single, then our Prophet explicitly said, there is no single person in Jannah. And so our scholars mentioned they shall have companions, either companions that Allah has created for them for Jannah or a companion of this world whom Allah Azza wa will marry to them. In any case, this is something that it is understood from the context that no one is going to be single in uh, Jannah. And uh, the surah concludes with the ultimate praise, تَبَارَكَسْمُ رَبِّكَ ذِي الْجَلَالِ وَالْإِكْرَامِ Blessed is the name of your Lord. If the name of Allah is blessed, then how about Allah Himself? تَبَارَكَسْمُ رَبِّكَ The Lord full of majesty, the Lord full of honor. The next surah, Surah Al-Waqi'ah, despite being only three pages, it has 96 verses. Can you imagine? So all the verses are very small. Read Surah Al-Waqi'ah, it shows you how small they are. Again, pure Meccan style, powerful, rhythmic, very easy surah to uh, memorize as well. And the central theme of Surah Al-Waqi'ah is a continuation of the previous categorization of Surah Al-Rahman, we are told of the people of Jahannam and then the two levels of Jannah. And the same categorization continues 
That Allah says in the Quran, وَكُنْتُمْ أَزْوَاجًا ثَلَاثَةً In verse number seven, and you shall be of three kinds. You have السَّابِقُونَ, the foremost. You have أَصْحَابُ الْمَيْمَنَةً, the right hand. You have أَصْحَابُ الْمَشْأَمَةً, the left hand. So you have mankind divided into three categories. And the foremost of them, السَّابِقُونَ, السَّابِقُونَ, Allah says, ثُلَّةٌ مِنَ الْأَوَلِينَ وَقَلِيلٌ مِنَ الْآخِرِينَ A large group from the earlier times and a smaller group from later people. And what this shows, this so true, piety decreases over time. Generally speaking, there was more piety earlier on. And subhanAllah, dear Muslims, we're living at a time where piety is dwindling. Still, there is hope for us. Allah says, وَقَلِيلٌ مِنَ الْآخِرِينَ A small group of the later generations will also get to the sabiqun. So why don't you aim for that and ask Allah to be amongst you, amongst those. Maybe Allah will grant you your du'as. And their blessings are described of the pleasures of Jannah. لَا يَسْمَعْنُ فِيهَا لَغْوًا إِلَّا قِيلًا سَلَامًا سَلَامًا They're not going to hear any idle talk, they will only hear peace and uh, salam. This is a sabiqun. And then the right hand will also have many blessings, but once again, not as many as the first category. And as for the right hand, Allah says, a large group from the past and a large group from the later people. So there will be a mediocre level of piety uh, for until the end of times. And then the left hand people will be the people of punishments. Why? Verse number 45. That before this, Allah says, they were spoiled with luxuries. And And they persisted in the worst of sins. And they would deny the hereafter. SubhanAllah, this verse should be an eye-opener to all of us. They were spoiled in their own luxuries. They persisted in their evil lifestyles. And they denied the hereafter. Now once again, to be technical, this verse applies to those who committed shirk and denied the resurrection. Still, dear Muslim, we have to think, do our lifestyles partially, partially check the boxes on this verse. We are enjoying our luxurious lifestyles. We are persisting in our heedless uh, ways and sins that we are doing, and we're not thinking and caring about the hereafter, even if we deep down inside believe in it. So let's try to avoid, no problem to enjoy the blessings you have, but not with persistence in sins, and not with not preparing for the hereafter. So be careful uh, that even this verse partially applies to you. And then Allah brings in four obvious miracles of creation to prove both that He is the Lord and that He is capable of bringing in a hereafter. Verse number 57, We created you, why can't you believe? Why won't you believe? Then Allah asks four different paragraphs, different questions that, did you create this fluid that you ejaculate the semen? Did you create it? Did you create life with it? Did you create your children in that manner? Do you, and then he says, do you see the plants? that you grow. Did you bring the crops out? Did you are the ones who cause all of that to grow? Then Allah asks us, do you see the water that you drink? Did you bring it down from the heavens? Or did we bring it down from the heavens? Then Allah says, do you see the fire that you use to warm yourselves with? Did you cause the wood to grow of those trees? Or did we uh, cause it to grow for you? And then Allah concludes that we are the ones who have made this as a reminder and a temporary pleasure for all of those who are in this world. Beautiful reminders, especially in light of our knowledge of science. You know these four questions, subhanAllah, 
These days, we can answer the how of every one of those questions. We can tell you from the point of you know, ejaculation up until the giving of the birth, how this, uh, this entity is created bit by bit, how you know, the zygote is formed and then the, uh, the child goes through the stages of evolution in the embryo, uh, uh, the, embryo, the embryonic stage until the delivery. We can tell you how, but Allah is not asking, do you know how? Allah is saying, did you cause it? We can explain the water cycle far better than the Arabs could in the seventh century. But Allah is saying, did you cause this water cycle or did we? We can explain where wood comes from and how wood is converted to fire. We can explain all of this, but you see, science cannot explain why. It can only explain how. And the brutal fact of the matter, and let me say this as bluntly as I can, modern science has given us a false sense of arrogance, as if because we understand how, we can deny the why, as if we can explain how, we don't have to think about, well, who created water to be like this? Who created fire to be like this? And these Quranic questions, despite their simplicity, they are timeless. And the surah finishes by bringing in the majesty of the Quran and reminding us of death and the last seconds of death. That when it reaches the throat, the soul reaches the throat, and all of you are looking on, and we are closer to that person, but you do not see. Can you bring it back? No, you cannot bring the soul back. And so we are reminded of those three categories. Once again, at the end of the surah, the foremost, the fortunate, the right hand, the left hand. Salam upon the fortunate and upon the right hand. But as for the left, how unfortunate they will be. And so the question to you and me, which of these categories do you want to be in? Work for that. The final surah that we're going to do, Surah Al-Hadid. And Surah Al-Hadid, actually there's a controversy, is it Makki or Madani? Most likely, most likely, uh, some of it is at least Makki and some of it is Madani. So it's one of those surahs that perhaps it was revealed in both uh, places. Some have said it is all Makki, some have said it is all uh, Madani. And the surah is one of the five Musabbihat surahs. There are five surahs in the Quran that are called Musabbihat because they, they begin with Sabbaha or Yusabbihu Lillahi. And these five are Hadid and Hashr and Saf and Jumu'ah and Taghabun. These five are in a similar place in the Quran, uh, one after the other, or maybe one or two surahs separate. We're going to do the rest of them uh, tomorrow. And so Hadid, Hashr, Saf, Jumu'ah, and Taghabun, they're called the Musabbihat surahs because they all begin with either Sabbaha Lillahi or Yusabbihu Lillahi. And uh, Surah Al-Hadid is called iron because Allah mentions and references iron at the end of the surah. The first six surahs of Surah Al-Hadid praise Allah in a very beautiful manner. And then follow five that command people to believe and to give charity. And this indicates, dear Muslims, that the names of Allah and Iman in Allah should in and of itself bring about a sense of compassion and charity. Notice how Allah links names and attributes with directly giving for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is a good reminder to those who are interested in Islamic theology, students of aqeedah, that aqeedah had better show in your akhlaq and compassion. Any aqeedah, any theology that does not teach compassion has failed in teaching Quranic aqeedah. Point of mind for the advanced students. Um, verse number 10, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, they are not the same. Those who embraced Islam before the conquest of Mecca and fought versus those who gave 
after. And what this shows, context can really raise up people and diminish others. Those who are persistent at times of difficulty, those of us who are living Islam as minorities in non-Muslim lands, subhanAllah, it is possible that a little bit of effort on our parts will be rewarded much more than those who are perhaps in much more sympathetic lands. And so context makes a lot of difference. And so Allah is saying, those who embraced Islam when the going was tough before the conquest, they are not the same as those who embraced afterwards. Let this be an encouragement for those of us that find ourselves in difficult circumstances and situations that perhaps our little bit, whatever we do, will translate for great rewards in the eyes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In verse 12, Allah mentions one of the aspects of the Day of Judgment, that light will be beaming out from righteous people. And there will be people who will not have any light. And so they will say to the people of light, hey, we used to meet up in this world. We don't have any light. Let's follow you in this light on your way to Jannah. And of course, I mentioned this in my series uh, on the Barzakh and also will be going over it again uh, in the series I'm doing on the Day of Judgment that Allah will grant all of us our personal lights that will guide us to Jannah. Our Iman will become literally light. The stronger was our Iman, the stronger will be our light. And there were people who don't have Iman, so they won't have any light. But they used to interact with the Muslims. So they're gonna say, hey, we used to be with you. Let's go with you, we'll go with your light as well. And Allah will bring a barrier between them. And then Allah or the angels will say, that verse number 14, yes, you are with them, but you were physically with them, but you tempted yourselves, and you dilly-dallied, you delayed, and you doubted, and you deluded yourself by your false promises and hopes until the judgment came, until death came, and it was too late. Notice this four-step process. Number one, you tempted yourselves. You're the ones who put yourselves where you shouldn't have. You went where you shouldn't have gone. You listened to people you shouldn't have listened to. You dabbled in things you shouldn't have done. What happened then? You delayed, ah, I'll repent later on. Ah, I'll do this now, I'll visit this person and do whatever I want to, and then you know, uh, repent whenever I'm older. This is tarabastum. What's gonna happen, you keep on delaying? Wartabtum, you begin to doubt. Why does Islam tell me to do this? It's not haram to drink, to go out and party. Why is this haram anyway? Wartabtum, then you start doubting yourself. Then what happens? Doubting your faith. Then what happens? amani. False promises delude you. People surround you, say, oh, Islam is mytholo mythological, Islam is fairy tales. You're surrounded by evil people and you get your echo chamber of bias confirmation. Each one is confirming each other's. You did it yourself. You walked down that path, you delayed everything. And then at the end, you're gonna say, oh, I didn't listen. Tough luck, you're, you yourself began this entire process. Don't go down this path. And that is why Allah says, Alam What a powerful verse. It's a verse number 17. Hasn't the time come? Isn't it time, dear Muslims, that your hearts become soft at the remembrance of Allah? Allah warns us in this verse, don't be like the people of the book who after a long period of time, their hearts became hard. We don't want to do that. Verse number 20, Know that the worldly life is playing and distraction and glitter. It's a matter of boasting amongst yourself in rivalry, in wealth and in children. and. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions as well in the surah, verse number 25, we sent our messengers with clear proofs and we sent them with the book and with balance that humanity may uphold justice. And we sent down iron, which is a violent force and benefits also for mankind. Allah mentions three things, the book, 
and justice, and he links them together. And then he says, and we also sent iron, and iron here, the reference is to the physical aspect of force and war. The book and justice can potentially exist without that, but a lot of times you need that to bring in. So the book and justice, Allah is saying they need to be done. And we need to make sure that that is practiced in our personal lives. And as for iron, well then political circumstances are different, but Allah is saying sometimes it needs to be done. And we've gone over those verses in many uh, surahs. And the surah concludes by referencing uh, some prophets and then a very interesting allusion to the practice of monasticism. Verse 27, that Allah Azza wa says, this monasticism that the Christians invented we didn't tell them to do that, but they still did it for the sake of Allah. Yet even when they did it, they didn't do it properly. Nonetheless, Allah says, when all is said and done, I will give those who are really righteous amongst them their reward, but let it be noted that most of them were not uh, good people. This is a very profound verse, like a sine wave, it goes up and down. And I spoke about this in more detail in a topic I gave about the reality of innovation. And this verse shows us that sometimes ignorant people ignorant people sincerely invent something that is wrong. We call it a bid'ah. And they should be criticized when they do that. Still, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might reward them for their sincerity, even though that doesn't justify the innovation. It's a very powerful verse, and we talked about this in my other lecture. The surah concludes, and this is our conclusion as well, by reminding us of that light on the day of judgment. We need to have a perfect light. How do we get it? Verse 28, O you who believe, fear Allah and believe in His Messenger. He will give you a double portion of His mercy and He will give you a light by which you can walk and He will forgive you. Verily, Allah is forgiving and merciful. We want light. We want light in this world. We want light in our graves. And most importantly, we want light on the day of judgment to be guided to Jannah. And Allah is telling us how to get that light. Fear Allah, worship Allah, believe in the Messenger, follow the sayings of the Messenger, and you will get all of that light. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us that light and perfect it for us. Jazakumullahu khair, and I'll see you tomorrow. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Shahru Ramadan al-Ladhi unzila fihi al-Qur'an hudan lin-nasi wa bayinatim من الهدى والفرقان فمن شهد منكم الشهر فليصمه ومن كان مريضا أو على سفر فعدة من أيام أخر يريد الله بكم اليسر ولا يريد بكم العسر ولتكملوا العدة ولتكبروا الله على ما هداكم ولعلكم تشكرون